The title of our sermon this morning is the Jerusalem Council, and it's entitled in such a way because our text is known as that portion of Scripture that is called the Jerusalem Council. In Acts chapter 14, right there at the very end, it says, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And we find here at this particular junction in the church that God is just working mightily in the hearts of the people. Jews have come to know Christ, massive numbers. But evangelism has taken place to where these Jews who once had no part with the Gentiles are preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and they are seeing a harvest come in of Gentiles People coming to know Christ, those that are not Jewish, coming to know Christ in just massive ways. And so at the end of chapter 14, it it talks about how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. God had done that. Door of faith has been opened, and now we're seeing massive numbers of people coming to know Christ amongst the Gentiles. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, saying, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so here's the dispute. You have those that are Jews that have become Christians, and you have those that are Gentiles who are coming to faith in just massive numbers. And so you have the church there, and, and here's the Jews. And you, you have to remember, for, for the Jews that have become Christians, for these people, that every bit of the law mattered to them. I mean, the, 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 their entire identity was in, they are those that are of the God of Israel. He's given the, the word and, 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 and the law. And they had taken the law, and they had put all kinds of fences around the law to make it so that it was far bigger than what the law actually was. But they want everybody to come under the law. They're at a place of they've kept the law, they've done all these things, they've obeyed all these laws, and, and, and now they're, they're seeing the cross and they're seeing grace and they're saying we're, we're now in a place of being under Christ. But if these Gentiles want to be believers, they first need to become Jews. They first need to come under the law. They first need to do all the things that we did and then come to Christ. They need to be the men. They need, they need to be circumcised first. And once they do that, then they can become Christians. And so these people that have come down from Judea are saying, unless you are, you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't be saved. And so what we find here is that, that this is a major dispute that's there in this particular region and they're saying let's send them to jerusalem let's send them to the other disciples and the apostles and the church there and and see what it is that we are to believe on this there's no small 
dissension, it says, with Paul and Barnabas talking with these people and disputing with these people, saying that this is not the case. They say, let's go to Jerusalem. And so what you have is you have what is known as the Jerusalem Council. They're going to come together and they're going to decide what God says with this particular issue. Now, for us today, the issue is still there. You have those that are within the church that say that, that you are saved by faith and by faith alone. We fit into that category. For us as, as Protestants, one of the things in which Martin Luther said that, that this is a doctrine upon which the church either stands or falls is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Are you saved through faith in Christ or in, in that alone? Or are you saved by faith in Christ plus the works of the law? And you have the, a major difference between Roman Catholicism and those that are Protestants. And this October 31st represents the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Thesis there on the door at the Castle Church in, in Wittenberg. And so it's, it's something for the last 500 years that has been major as far as in our world of, of those that are Protestants and those that are a part of Roman Catholicism. But here in Acts chapter 15, you see the same thing here. How is it that you're saved? Are you saved by faith alone? Or are you saved by faith plus going back under the law and doing the things under the law and being circumcised? Is it faith plus something else? And so that's where we come to here in, in Acts chapter 15. This doctrine, it matters. When you think of how can I be saved? How is it that I can be saved? It's the most important thing for us to ever think upon. What is the gospel? For us, is it, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to say a prayer and I'm going to believe in Christ, but I don't know if that's enough. I, I, I better go and, and do all of these different things. And, and, and you have in your mindset just this, desire to perform, this desire to please, this desire to, have I done enough? Is, is, is it good enough? You you've maybe grew up in a, in a church in which you, you felt as if on a regular basis, you better walk up on that altar call just to make sure that you're good for that week. Not, not living with the security of, I have faith in Christ, and that is all that I need. Turn with me for a moment to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We find here a parable in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. Where it says he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so Jesus says this, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You have two men in this parable. One in whom has done the works. He, he, he thinks of himself and he says, okay, I, I'm so glad that I'm not like these other people over here. When I think about myself, when I think of who I am, I, I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not like those that are unjust or adulterers or like this tax collector that's sitting over here. I'm not like, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm not like these people. I fast twice a week. Two times a week, I don't eat. I give tithes of all that I possess. I, I, I give regularly to God. And in his mind, he's thinking, I'm good. I mean, I, I don't eat twice a week. And I give 10% of everything that I have. I'm so glad I'm not like these other people. In his mind, there's so much that he has, so much that he possesses, so much good that he has to offer to God. His good works, him being under the law, is something that gives him so much merit before God. But then there's this other guy, tax collector, hated by everybody. And, and he's there and he stands far away. He, he doesn't even want to raise up his head towards, towards heaven. He starts beating his chest, just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I got nothing. I got nothing to offer him. I can't even look up. I just am going to beat my chest and plead for mercy. And Jesus just said, I tell you, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So what it tells us is, is, is the man that, that, that has humility, the man that's there saying, I, it, it's not by the works of the law. It's not by me bringing what I have to offer you and, and all that I've done. It's only by, by faith in you. It's only by grace. I'm empty handed. I got nothing. Jesus is saying that person was justified. And the key thing that he says after that is, rather than the other. The other guy's not. The other guy went back to his house still dead in his sins. But the one who came with humility, the one that came without the good works, he's the one that went back to his house justified. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, it says, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new co covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I, we're not sufficient in of ourselves of anything. The letter, the law, it kills. The spirit gives life. It's not about have we kept the law? Have we done enough to keep the law? It's about we're saved by the work of Christ upon the cross. Along with this and, and this particular doctrine, turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Romans 3, 19. I want us to be able to understand this and to be able to articulate it because it will change everything for us in, in our lives. If we're still in a place of trying to earn salvation or in our minds we think God did His part, but 
Now I got to do my good works. I got to do my part. To be able to understand that what they're discussing at the Jerusalem Council is made so clear in Scripture. In verse 19 of chapter 3 of Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Stopping there just for a moment. The law. All that you see in, in, in Scripture with reference to the law. You think of the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, or you shall not make any graven image, or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and honor your father and mother, and you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. Or Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You think of the commandments of the Lord. It's good. The law is good. But it doesn't bring salvation. We, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it tells us why God gave us the law. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The law entered so that the offense might abound. You have the law, so you're able to see your sin. It acts like a mirror. You look at the law and you see, I fall so short of keeping it. In Galatians 3.19, it says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law serves the point of revealing those transgressions. In Galatians 3.24, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was given to be a tutor to us, to show us our shortcomings, to show us our failures, to show us our need for the seed, our need for Christ, a need for our Savior to come. So that we might be justified by faith. The law was given so that we can look at it and say, I can't measure up to it. The law was given so that we would beat our breasts and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We would look upon it and say, I'm in desperate need of grace. I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I am, I'm empty-handed. I got nothing. I mean, as far as the ability to keep the law, I fail on all accounts. So the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Is the law bad? No. Romans 7, 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. I wouldn't have known, like, don't want what the other person has unless the law said, don't do that. Don't covet. And so we, we see the law. We look at the law and we find that we're in desperate need of a Savior. In desperate need of a Savior. And so go back with me to, to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. We had just read that as a result of the law, every mouth will be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, verse 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So by the deeds of the law, 
by keeping the law, by being circumcised or by obeying the Sabbath or by obeying all the other rituals that they had or dietary laws that they had or whatever the law was. Through those things, we're told the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It acts like a mirror. It acts like a tutor. It brings knowledge of sin to us. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Those words right there change everything for Martin Luther. I mean, so, so someone that is doing everything he can to keep every bit of the law, to be able to, to hear, okay, but the, the law, it reveals our sin, but now, but now there's a righteousness apart from the law. There's a righteousness that comes apart from the law. Brothers and sisters, this is such good news for us. I mean, to think of standing before Almighty God at some point. There will come a day where you will breathe your last here on earth and you will stand before Almighty God. From what you have done, the good things that you've done, the way in which you have lived, there is no possibility that you will be justified by God. There's no chance that he will look upon you by the deeds that you've done and say, it's enough. It's good. You've done enough. No matter how great of a life you think that you have lived, no matter how great of a person that you think you are, by the deeds of the law, Scripture tells us, no flesh will be justified in his sight. There's no chance of you making it. There's no chance of you being before God and him saying like, you're better than most. Come on in. It's not an option. It's the most frightening thing to stand before the living God in your sin. But we read in verse 21, but now, but now there's the righteousness of, of who? Of God. And it's apart from the law. It's not as a result of you did your part and you're keeping as much as you possibly can under the law. It's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. It, it, scripture talked about it all throughout. Even the righteousness of God. You hear the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to write, take note, it's the righteousness of God. It's perfect. He, he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. It's perfect. Can't be improved upon. When you think of the life of Christ, you behold, He always loved the Lord His God, the Father, with all of His heart, with all of His mind, with all of His strength. He always loved His neighbor as Himself. He always did the things that were right. He was holy in all ways. He fulfilled all righteousness. He did all things. There's not any sin whatsoever inside of Christ. None. The righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How does it come? Through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. It's not 
to all and on who, on all who believe, but who first became Jews, who first were circumcised, who first kept the law and did everything that they were supposed to do. It's no, there is a righteousness that comes from God. It is from Christ and it goes to all and on all who believe. It comes through faith. Through faith. You picture yourself standing before God. You know your sin. You know your life. You know everything that you've done and yet it's just scratching the surface as far as the depths of your own sin. Unable to stand before Him. And you see the very righteousness of Christ placed on your account. Not your own righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. The perfect righteousness of Christ placed on you. I know that's sweet to you as believers here this morning. But I don't know that we can even touch on the true excellencies of that until we are there someday standing before him. Knowing that our sin has been removed and knowing that we have the very righteousness of Christ on us. To be able to, to do what he tells us in Scripture as far as approach his throne boldly. How's that even possible to approach him boldly? They, they approached him to the Holy of Holies with just absolute trembling in the Old Testament. To approach him boldly, it's because you have been clothed with robes of righteousness. You have the very righteousness of Christ upon your account to where when, when the Father looks upon you, he sees his Son. He sees his Son. So, but now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith in him. You are saved by faith alone. Alone. You go through this text, all of it is you are saved by faith alone. It's not faith plus going back under the law. It is faith alone. And so it goes from there to say, so where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. I don't think you could be more clear in Scripture as far as how it is that we're saved. It is by faith in Christ. Know this, that, that, that if you sit here this morning and you say, every bit of my hope for salvation is in the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sin. He died for my sin. 
When he hung there on that cross, my sin was placed upon him. He gave me his righteousness. My only hope in standing before him is that my sin's been removed and that his righteousness has been placed on me. I believe that he is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was buried and rose again on the third day and that he lives forevermore and he is the one who has saved me. Through faith, through that kind of faith, you're justified. We ought to love this. Rather than being in a place of, okay, like, I better enter into a monastery and do as much as I possibly can. Or I better give as much as I possibly can to be able to help my, my family members who have already died get out of purgatory. I better do my part. I better go and, and, and go to Rome. I, I better go and, and make that pilgrimage. I better go and do whatever else that you could possibly think of in the law, whether it be being circumcised that we see here in the Jerusalem Council, or whatever else that you could think of. We don't have to do these things. You are saved by faith and by faith alone. What an amazing thing it is to not be here this morning thinking, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Do I have enough good works? But to be at a place of he did enough. He fulfilled all righteousness. It's placed on my account and it only comes by faith. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And to find ourselves going home justified by faith alone. In the next verse there, it says in Romans chapter 3, 29, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We find that the law has been fulfilled completely in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. Another incredible passage dealing with this comes from Philippians 3, verse 1, if you would turn there with me. Philippians 3, 1. It says here, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And so when we talk about these, these things, the Holy Spirit is saying that these things are not tedious. But for you, it's safe. This is something that ought to cause you to rejoice in him this morning. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Speaking specifically of the Judaizers that are trying to bring them to a place of you got to be circumcised. Before it is that you can be saved, you must be circumcised. Paul's just saying, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus who have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh. The ones that have, have a circumcision of heart. 
We, we have no confidence in the stuff that we have to offer to God. There's no confidence in our flesh, in the law, in the keeping of the law. Paul says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. You, you may look at yourself and, and think like, I'm a good person. And you could try to justify like, I, I've done good things in my life. I'm, I'm good. I'm basically good. Paul's saying, if you think you're good, if you think that you could do it by the law, I weigh more so. I mean, were, were you circumcised on the eighth day? Were you someone who is of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews? Were you a Pharisee? He says, but the things that were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. The righteousness becomes, it comes from God to us by faith. Everything else, every bit of good deeds that you do, Paul just says, just count it as rubbish. Just count it as junk. Just count it as, as literally like dung. Count it as nothing in comparison to gaining Christ. To have His righteousness. Not your own. To be found in Him. And it comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. It's the best news that we could ever hear, brothers and sisters. To have God say, you're perfect. You're without sin. You're without any spot or blemish. Approach my throne boldly. You belong to me. You're found in me. It's not as a result of the law. It's all the result of Christ and Him paying the price for our sins and Him fulfilling all the law, Him fulfilling all righteousness and placing it upon our account. It makes it so he gets all the glory. All of it. Your salvation is not the result of how well you performed. It's based on what Christ has done for you. So what should that do to us? To, to, to understand salvation that comes by faith alone, what should that do for us? I think that it should cause us to rejoice, as we're told in Philippians. I, I think it should cause us to feel so much peace in Christ because it's not based upon our performance, but it's based upon Christ. It, it should cause us to, to worship Him with all that is within us because we know that it's not me. I didn't do it. I didn't meet Him halfway. I was dead in my sins and trespasses and He saved me. He died for me. When I was still a sinner, He died for me. He fulfilled all righteousness. He paid the price for my sins. He took the wrath that I can never take upon myself. 
This doctrine matters. Because if we go to a place of, okay, we're saved by faith, but also by works. I mean, he did his part, but I got to do my part. Think of how blasphemous it is to think what Jesus did when he hung on that cross was good, but not enough. I got to do my part. God says, I will not share my glory with another. I did it all. I paid the price. Give glory to me for what I've done. We will be in heaven forever praising him, not being in heaven saying like, so glad I did my part. We will be there and say, all glory, all honor belongs to you. It's his blood that was shed. It's his precious blood that was given for us. The only reason why we're here is because of him. I would have gone in a direction totally away from him, but he saved me. And that's the debate that's here. Romans or Acts 15 matters. Go back with me to Acts 15, verse 6. So the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and he says to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles, but by the mouth of the Gentiles should bear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them, between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. There's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. Their hearts have been purified by faith. Peter goes on to say, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Saved. At verse 12, it goes on and says, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James, the brother of Jesus, answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written, saying, after this I will turn and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, James says. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that you should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. Now here is it's talking about this. Let's just encourage them. Those who are turning to God, abstain from things that are polluted by idols. Worship God, not the idols. Be in a place of, of fleeing from sexual immorality. The Gentiles lived in such a way that was just so promiscuous. Let's encourage them to flee from that. 
Let's encourage them to stay away from things that are strangled and from blood. Why? Because don't do anything that would cause a stumbling block for your brother. Become all things to all men. You're amongst the Jews. Don't take liberty and do that to make your brother stumble. So be careful. But you're saved by faith. For Moses had, throughout many generations, those who preached him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. In verse 22, it says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men from their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them, saying this, The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas who who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being among being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. They kept teaching them. They were taught, stay away from idols and things offered to idols. Be pure sexually. And don't stumble the Jewish brothers around you. Don't do anything that would be a stumbling block for them. Be loving to one another. These guys were so encouraged. So we don't need to go get circumcised. We don't need to go back under the law. We don't need to become Jews and then get saved. We could be saved by faith alone. It changed everything for them. The sweetness of the gospel, a yoke that's not placed upon us that our fathers weren't able to bear. But you are saved by faith alone. We have so much to be thankful here this morning. We are saved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Alone. Alone. It's not faith plus anything. True and living faith will produce works because the Holy Spirit resides in you and there's fruit of the Spirit that comes forth as a result of that. But it's not that fruit that saves us. It's Christ that saves us. You are saved by faith alone. So may we have peace in Christ. May we have joy that we're saved like that. And may it cause us to praise him for all that is in store for us because he's worthy of all the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this Jerusalem council. These people who got together because it mattered so much to to get together to talk about a doctrine that was so important. 
I pray that if there's anybody here that has been trying to save themselves as a result of their keeping of the law, they would just use the law to look at their own sin and then run to their Savior where they can find rest for their souls, forgiveness of sin, life everlasting. I pray that that, that the clarity of the gospel this morning would cause our hearts to have so much joy in how it is that we're saved. When you said on the cross, it is finished. It truly was finished. And we praise you for that. May we be finding ourselves overwhelmingly thankful for salvation that comes by faith alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.